Welcome to the One in One Podcast, where below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. My guest today is Taylor Sharp, a film director who created the films Hoops Africa and Hoop Portraits. He's co-founder of Blue Cup Production and just might be the biggest University of North Carolina superfan there is. Taylor, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Bridget. Absolutely. And I'm so excited to have you on. I'm a big fan of documentaries and just the process of creating them. I know it takes so much more work than you think, so I'm just so excited to talk to you. Yeah, it'll be a good conversation. Thanks thanks again for having me on and um, excited to be a part of one and one Yeah, right? Yeah, an- another great North Carolina person to have. Yeah, I liked, I liked looking back and seeing that you had some UNC folks in there. That's always a good sign for me. Yeah, you know, just thinking off the top of my head, they might be, UNC might be have the most athletes on. It's that or Notre Dame, I think, between the two. All right, that, that's a pretty good matchup. Well, hopefully, I, I didn't play any sports at UNC, but hopefully I can help put UNC above the Notre Dame on the list. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, man, that's funny. All right, Taylor, I do have to get something off my chest before we start, and I hope you don't hang up the phone. Are you ready for it? <laughs> Let's hear it. All right. So my dad played baseball at Villanova. So we are a Nova Hoops family. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. You hate to hear it, but I'm happy <laughs> for your success over the years. I'm just sad it came at the uh, cost of us not getting one in, a championship in 2016. Yeah, yeah. came at your, your expense. Honestly, though, just watching that game, it, it was such a shame anyone had to lose. There were great kids on both teams that were great representatives of the universities. Obviously, two of your great friends, Bryce Johnson and Marcus Page, you know, tough to see them walk away without a, without a chip. Yeah, that was that was our senior year and um, kind of felt like I had grown up through college with that that 2016 class. And those are my roommates on the floor. So I was certainly sad to see kind of their harps get ripped out of them with that with that shot by Chris. But actually, you know, Chris, Chris Jenkins on Villanova um, was essentially a brother to Nate Britt, who was Mm -hmm. on our team. And he would come to Chapel Hill sometimes in the end of the spring semester after their season was over and hang out and play pickup with our guys. So. I had met him, and then um, in, in the years since, doing some other producing and directing, I've been able to work with um, Ryan from that, a, a handful of guys from that team I was able to work with, Daniel and Ryan. So, you know, they're all good guys. I hate they got the best of us that day. I won't forgive them for it, but it, mm-hmm. it's nice to put some friendly faces to the, to the guys who stole one from you, at least. Yeah, I remember, I think it was on Twitter a couple years ago, you tweeted out when you uh, had, you were working with Ryan and Daniel, and you're just like, Jesus, I have to work with them in a much better tone than that, but that was kind of what you were getting at. It was pretty funny. Well, you know, I appreciated working with them. They, they were nice guys, and um, it was good to do all of that, but Ryan especially, they would they would not let me forget it. And in fact, <laughs> I, I kept seeing them around in, in Toronto the days after. This was for a G League event, and they, they wouldn't let me forget it, so I kind of hate that part of it. <laughs> but I would do the same to them, so it's only fair. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what's so interesting about that game? I was watching with my dad, who is basically the biggest Nova fan there is. And when Marcus Page hit that shot, he, just so much, he had so much respect for UNC. His response wasn't like, Jesus Christ, oh my God. He, he literally was like, good for that kid. He's a good kid. I was like, wait, really? That's your response? What? I, th- I think it's tough to have any different response to Marcus, honestly. And, and that shot too. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know if I'd be as friendly as as your dad if I were on the other side of it, but that was that was one of the better shots in college basketball history that that unfortunately won't be replayed as much as the one that happened next. Yeah, you know that is crazy to think about. That was a much more difficult shot than Chris Jenkins hit that like double clutch shot. But yeah, because of the shot that happens right after that, it really isn't one that you think of with great March Madness shots, even though it should be right up there. It should be. Well, I'm glad I'm glad Marcus has the respect of your father, at least. <laughs> Definitely. All right, Taylor. Now let's get into you a bit. So you grew up in Morganton, North Carolina. Where exactly in North Carolina is that? Yeah, so Morganton is in the foothills of the mountains. So it's in the western end of the state. It's kind of one of the last towns you go through before you start going up in elevation, whether you're going to Asheville or Boone or some of the other places that you may or may not have heard of in North Carolina. But it was a yeah, it was a great place to grow up. I kind of had um, my backyard was the mountains of North Carolina, and I was only just over an hour away from Charlotte to, to be able to go to professional sporting events there, and um, only two and a half hours um, west of Chapel Hill as well. So being able to go to UNC games, those were all kind of within reach. So it was it was a nice small town experience, and um, especially since it allowed you to kind of venture to the beach or to the mountains or, or to sporting events. And those were all things that I, you know, appreciated about the proximity. Nice. nice. Yeah, I have family out in Hendersonville, which is more in the mountains, but probably not yeah. so far away from you. No, not too far. My, my grandma actually used to live there for a bit, so I'm very familiar. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I went out there once. It was a very, very different lifestyle than I was used to in Jersey, but uh, fun to experience. <laughs> yeah, of course. And where are you in Jersey? So I'm in Bergen County, uh, real close to New York City. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. good area. Expensive area, but a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so now, how did you become such a diehard UNC fan? It's not like the campus was right in your backyard. As you said, it was two and a half hours away. This is true, yeah. But in, in, New, in North Carolina, I feel like, um, you know, maybe by default, everyone's a UNC fan. Some some decide to like Duke, cheer for Duke, and, and some have some have family members that went to State or Way or Wake or App or any of these other places that you end up, you know, giving your allegiance to. But UNC is the pr- premier public university of the state. So I think given their, you know, athletic success too, it's really easy to grow up a UNC fan. In fact, my parents didn't go to UNC. Um, I have two older brothers. I was just kind of a diehard fan from from the beginning, being being born in, in North Carolina, they say um, Tar Heel born, Tar Heel bred, and um, and that was the case for me. I, I think I wanted to go to UNC before I even knew it was a university, you know, just at such a young age. Those were my favorite sports teams, and I was really fortunate that um, both my older brothers ended up going before me, so we had plenty of family trips to Chapel Hill, you know, for a football weekend or a basketball game, just so we could go in and, you know, check on the brothers. That was my parents easy excuse of getting down there to visit them a lot so yeah I just grew up a fan and then um, had a lot of exposure to campus through my brothers going there and as it was getting time for me to start choosing my academic route Chapel Hill was was kind of the the end destination that I always that I was always shooting for yeah seems like you probably didn't even apply anywhere else I mean maybe as a safety school but it seems like you were going to UNC no matter what yeah, I truly didn't. I only applied early to UNC, knowing that if I didn't get in, that I could uh, apply uh, apply kind of regular deadline to some other places. So, yeah, UNC was I, – I was starting to think about some other schools out of state, um, and I started to think, like, if I get into these schools, I'm still going to choose UNC over them, so why waste the effort? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, I mean, so you had 
two brothers and you, you guys all went to UNC. So your family is pretty bright because it's very hard to get into North Carolina. I think it's one of, if not the top public school in the, in America. It oftentimes gets voted, you know, best, uh, best value, just given that it's a public school at an affordable rate yet offer such, such a like diverse set of academic opportunities that are all pretty high level. So yeah, it is, it is a, a nice, um, a nice university to have in the state. For sure. Now, was basketball the biggest sport for you growing up? Was that your team, the Tar Heels? Yeah, my my teams were, were UNC basketball and UNC football. I, I watched the Hornets and Bobcats and the Panthers too, I, and the Atlanta Braves. I, I followed a lot of sports when I was young, but it, it all comes back to UNC for me. And as the years have gone on, I think I've been more tied to keeping up with UNC basketball and keeping up with where alums of the program are now playing professionally, whether that be in the NBA or overseas. And um, yeah, I'm much more of an NBA and, and UNC basketball focus now. But, but growing up, I, I played and watched a lot of sports. I had sports was really um, infused in my life in every direction as a kid. Okay, nice. Yeah. So were you the point guard on the basketball court? I could see you as a point guard. I was always a shooting guard. I, I was I was more of a, a wing player that could that could make some threes and, and play good defense. But um but I appreciate the the point guard nod. Of course. Hey, shooting guard's the best position. That's what I played when I was little, so it's the there best one out there. There we go. What other sports did you play? I grew up playing baseball and tried football for a minute, but also did a lot of fly fishing and snowboarding and, and things that you do in Western North Carolina too. Um, but baseball and basketball were always my biggest ones. And, um, you know, I got to a point where I realized I wasn't, I was more likely to get an academic scholarship than I would be an athletic scholarship. So I, you know, took the foot off the gas a little bit in terms of how much I was focusing on playing sports. But even to this day, basketball is the one that you know, I still have pickup groups that I play with routinely and basketball is the sport that I watch on TV that I can't watch for too long without having to go outside and shoot basketball. So <laughs> I think ba- basketball has won out in the end, even though I, I used to play a lot of different sports. That's awesome. Now, you mentioned being a big UNC football fan. I know you would go to a lot of games as a kid and as an adult. Uh, you know, I think they were pretty good when you were little and then there were years where they were kind of just okay. Now that Mac Brown's there, you must be pretty pumped about, you know, how they're doing and how their success looks in the future years. Yeah, it's fun to have Mac back. Um, there was definitely a day and age when I went to every UNC football game and um, kind of lived and died by it. And, and now I'm just that alum who's just happy that the program's doing well and happy that the students can have some fun watching a good team and um, definitely Mac being back has added a lot of excitement. So people are really excited for the season. Yeah, definitely. Now, what about the other sports? Because UNC also has a great soccer program, both men's and women's baseball program. They were in the World Series a few times, field hockey and both men's Mm -hmm. and women's lacrosse. So where do you fall with all those? Oh, that's that's a great thing about being at UNC is, you know, you, you have classmates and friends who are on all these other sports that might get talked about less, but all of these people are winning national championships at UNC pretty routinely, you know, having, having been in contention for it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was rare that you would go a year at UNC without winning a national championship. In fact, between men's and women's tennis and lacrosse and, and soccer and field hockey, et cetera, down the line, we were having multiple championships every year. So yeah, it was really fun to be able to support all of those teams. And, um, like Dean Smith said, we're 
we're more of a women's soccer school when you really think about it. <laughs> That's a great point. You, they have the most national titles. I don't really believe it's close either. No, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's been a, a lot of dominance from the UNC women's soccer program for a while. Um, there's only there's only a few other schools that have that many um, high achieving teams. You know, there's Stanford and Michigan and some other places that really have a diverse group of really talented teams. Um, but that's that's a fun thing about being at UNC. Yeah, is you can you can kind of go to any game and uh, and see a good team. For sure. Now, what about women's basketball? Because they were really good, and I think they're going to be really good again, uh, you know, in, in a short amount of time with the new coach. Yeah, I, I got to meet the – I actually went in and talked to the women's team. Um, must have been about two years ago. It was right, it was right when the new coach came in. Um, and it was – yeah, I'm, I feel good about that program. And I grew up being a big – I was a huge Ivory Lada fan, and now I've become – friends with her. Um, she was playing when I was a kid. So, um, yeah, I kind of have long been a UNC women's fan and, uh, hope they can, hope they can do well in these coming years. I think we're in a, in a good spot to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. The coach was, I used to be the coach at Princeton and what she was able to do with a school like Princeton was so impressive. And once she was named head coach, I basically said, she, she's going to make UNC a contender. She's really going to recruit well. And she has. So just a pat on the back to me, I called that one. So <laughs> yeah, I, I feel pretty good about them in the coming years. Well, I'm glad we've got your uh, stamp of approval and that you've Spoken that into existence. Hopefully you speak into existence. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. And uh, with Ivory Lad, it's so funny. I respect her so much as a player, and I really enjoyed watching her play. However, I was the biggest Duke women's basketball fan when Abby Wainer played there. She's my mm -hmm. favorite all-time basketball player, so I just would hate the UNC women's team for those uh 40 minutes that they were playing Duke. And it's funny, I've been able to have a few of them on, such as Camille Little and Alex Miller. And I was like, you know, I, I really hated you. I, I feel bad to say that, but <laughs> I, I like you now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure you didn't like Avery coming in. She would, she was putting up big numbers and was shushing the crowd. And, oh, yeah. Um, so I think, I think not liking her as a Duke fan is a, is a nod of respect to her. Definitely, definitely. And like I said, I if she was playing NC State, I would find it funny. Like, you know, it was just for those minutes when she was playing against my girl, Abby Wainer. And I can't get Abby on the podcast. So you know what? I should just just be a UNC fan at this point. Yeah, switch, come on over, switch your allegiance. <laughs> I should. So, Taylor, we've talked a lot about, you know, your love of sports. What about your love of film? How old were you when you really wanted to get into movies and film? You know, it's funny. I, I used to, for a while, I was saying that I just stumbled my way into film near the end of my college experience. I didn't formally study film there. I didn't go to film school. Um, and it wasn't until my senior year until I really started working on this documentary that propelled me kind of the path I am now. But if I'm being honest, I have to look back and go to the home videos that I've been devouring recently that my family has. And on that is a lot of home videos that my brothers and I would make. So really going back to it, I had, I had two creative older brothers as well. And um, the oldest of which loved to write and direct movies and use me, his youngest little brother, as the star in all of them. <laughs> and because I would always say yes middle brother didn't always but i would um so yeah looking back there's all these remakes of james bond and indiana jones and what have you so really i, I guess just for fun um you know flexing that creative muscle i think a little bit with my brother happened at a really er at a really early age um and then all throughout all throughout high school and college i was involved in different 
projects and such that required us to, um, you know, make videos. And so without even knowing it, I think I was honing that craft a bit. Um, wow. But, I, but I, I do find it, I do still think that it's a bit of a serendipitous path to filmmaking. I didn't necessarily think that that would be my career or what I would be doing after college, but I'm really happy I, I found my way there. That's really amazing. So you didn't even study film at UNC and here you are successfully creating films. Wow. Yeah, UNC, I did actually an interdisciplinary study and it was focused on the philosophy and business of sport, mostly about sports and society, um, sports, the way that they reflect or affect society. That was my major as well as the entrepreneurship minor. So I was more geared towards um yeah, a future in sports in some capacity, sports and social impact was the intersection that I was most focused on. And that happened to bring me to film um, to do a documentary on some stories that I was really passionate about. And it was in the making of that film that I really caught the production bug and, and wanted to do more. Wow. It's just a great story of how you don't have to, you know, study for something for four years to really get into it. At tw If at 25 you realize you want to go out and be something else, you can do it, you know, whether it be go back to school or just get into it. Yeah, I mean, and it's all varying degrees of, of this, but I, I always say, like, as, a, as an advocate for independent filmmaking or, or just, like, being creative in, in any realm, it's never too late to go out and give it a try and, and you kind of have all you need to, to start small and go from there. So um, definitely that was, I'm a product of that. If I just went out and tried to make a documentary and ended up doing it and, um, and I'm just building it out, hopefully better and better with each one as we go. Yeah. Wow. Now, before we get into the documentary, I do want to ask, because, you know, you have this great major at UNC, but did you ever miss a home basketball game? Because it seems like you were at the Dean Dome a lot during your four years. That is definitely true. There was a, um, that might have been my, my peak fandom. I mean, I, as a kid, I was just obsessed with, with sports, playing them and, and watching them and cheering on my teams. And, and that's not as big of a part of my identity now um but but while at unc it was kind of it was the perfect combination because not only was i finally able to be at the game at all of the games of the team that i had cheered on for so long but um the people on the floor had become my really good friends so it was that perfect combination of of having front row seats almost every game and the student section um at the games that i had watched on tv for for decades but then also knowing the people on the floor and really rooting for their success and understanding how much work they'd put in and knowing their hurt and a loss and their, and their happiness and a win and knowing what, you know, having success in college could mean for their professional careers and what that could do for them and their families. That was the, the combination that, that really for those, for those four years in college had me um, very focused on UNC basketball. So it was, uh, I think after school, now, now that a lot of the players that I know have since graduated and, and gone on, you know, now I'm, I'm back to just rooting on people that I don't really know as well. Um, and, and it's fun almost to have that separation again. But during those four years, it was, um, yeah, it was, I just had so many reasons to care. And so it was, it was fun to, to go to most every home game and um, even some away games. I would always travel to the NCAA tournament. And, and those, were, those were a lot of good memories, um, being with the families of the players sometimes and being with my group of friends who made it a part of, kind of we built our community around UNC basketball in some ways too. We had a lot of traditions of going to games and being together at them. Um, so I'm glad that that was a big part of my, my Carolina experience. 
Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. And you're right, you are able to get to a lot of away games, right? Because Duke is right down the street, NC State's not far, Wake Forest isn't far. Uh, and speaking of that, did you ever go to a UNC Duke game at Cameron Indoor? I actually never went to Cameron Indoor. Ooh. I went to, um, let's think, I went to, I think it was eight or maybe nine straight UNC Duke games in Chapel Hill, including the two years before I got to college, the four that I was there, and then the, the three after. Um, so I had a good run of UNC Duke games in Chapel Hill, but I've never been to a UNC Duke game at Cameron, so that's still on my list. Are you afraid you're going to get beat up? Is that why you haven't got, gone? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. It's just a, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a tough ticket. Uh, and, and I haven't, I haven't, maybe I haven't put in enough effort. I haven't been fortunate enough to, to get in there, but hopefully one day, I mean, that is a, a very unique college basketball experience. So I'll, uh, I'll happily, I'll happily go, but you'll, you won't catch me in the darker shade of blue. <laughs> yeah, at that point, you have to represent Carolina, obviously. Naturally. And how did you become so close to the UNC players? Because to my knowledge, you didn't work under the team. You weren't a student manager or anything like that. So how did you become so close? My first job in sports was working for Coach Williams Basketball Camp in the summer before my first year. I actually went straight from high school graduation to Chapel Hill um, wow. to work summer camp in Chapel Hill. So I, I considered the path of being a manager, but I, I never ended up being a manager. I just kind of worked camp that first summer. But it introduced me to a lot of other managers and um, some people on the staff and some of the players. So that was kind of my – honestly, that was like my the first friends I made at UNC were people affiliated with the program, um, managers and players, you know, my my aged people. Um, who are on campus, who I got to meet in June, as opposed to when we arrived in August, you know. So that's, I think that's just kind of like the, how my community formed uh, with such proximity to UNC basketball was having worked that camp. And um, some of the guys coming in my year, Marcus and Bryce specifically, but also Joel James and JP had just become early friends in those first days of college, you know, had classes together. Their apartment building was right next to our dorm room. Um, so similar to the way in which I made my other friends too in the dorms and through other classes. They were just a part of that early group of friends that I, that I started hanging out with in the beginning of college. And um, they are a part of the group that have kind of lasted now this long, however many years, I guess oh, almost awesome. 10 years. Yeah, that's awesome. I so saw, I think you were in Marcus Page's wedding too. So yeah, obviously that friendship has uh, continued. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, um, it's been nice to kind of count on them as my, as my friends that I feel like will last from, from college. And we were just at another wedding, another one of our friends who um, didn't play on the team, but was close with a lot of them. He had his wedding this past weekend. So it's always good when there's a Carolina reunion um, because from athletics and not, you know, just, it's always good to be back around those, those people after, um, you know, we all kind of go our separate ways and live in our places and, and do our things. But it's always good to come back and reunite with some some UNC friends. Yeah, and it's probably been a while given the the state of the world. You probably haven't really had a big reunion in a while. Totally, yeah. I was, we were all kind of reflecting on that. It feels like um, anyone you see for the first time, you're kind of having this like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen you in pretty much two years, you know? <laughs> um, so it was a lot of that this this past weekend, especially since for those players who play overseas, um, you know, they usually head out about this time and, and go over and play their season. So we just usually see them in the off season, you know, in the summer. Um, so it was nice to be able to catch them this off season before 
before they leave. Cause a, a lot of my closer friends, um, I haven't, I haven't seen since maybe I visited them when they were playing, uh, in their respective places like a year and a half or two years ago. Mm, yeah. That's a while. Exactly. Yeah. And I'd say hopefully you can, you know, go back and visit them soon, but I don't know. Now it's kind of going backwards. So I'll say, I hope I'm hoping, but who knows? Yeah. Knock on some wood there. Um, yeah, yeah but, but I'm, but I'm hoping too. They, it, it's, it really has been a treat. I mean, I, I, I love, um, traveling when I can and, and finding, especially my projects allow for me to travel a good bit. And it's always fun when, when I have friends and places that I've never been before and I can visit them, experience that new place or new culture kind of through, through their lens. Um, so I, I'm hopeful that this season will allow for some travel because I've, I've got some friends living and playing in some pretty interesting places that I've never been before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hopefully your passport is still good because I know that there's a big backlog on renewing passports. <laughs> We're all good there, but that that is that is true. I've I've, I've heard some horror stories of folks <laughs> who needed to travel for for work and other reasons and, and couldn't. Yeah, yikes! And speaking of travel, you mentioned uh, during your undergrad you would travel during the NCAA tournament. So take me through that after Selection Sunday. Say UNC is playing the first round in I I don't know uh, Wilmington. We'll say obviously it's probably close because they're always a good usually a good uh, top seed. You just at that point just you know get on the phone, get tickets, get a hotel, go from there. And if they, you know, advance to the Sweet 16, you know, at the hotel, you're, you know, booking a flight to Kansas City to get there. Like, take me through that. That sounds like a really fun couple of weeks. It was fun. You know, I mentioned my friends that are on the floor, but I also had this group of friends who were um, going to the games with me and it became our tradition and our community. So, yeah, we were Selection Sundays happening. And we're and even before Selection Sunday, actually, we were – we had to be savvy since we didn't have much money. Um, so fortunately, you know, we we had friends on the team who oftentimes would, um, you know, give us part of their like family allotment of tickets. So once they kind of, pretty much my thing was if if you could get me a ticket to the game, I'd figure out a way to travel to get there to watch you. You know, um, mm-hmm. so that was that was a nice thing to usually have our tickets taken care of, um, and then it was just up to us to figure out how to travel to these sometimes obscure places. Um, so yeah, it was, we would be savvy though. Like Southwest has a booking policy where you can, you know, cancel and get your credits back. And we would have an idea of what seed they could be and likely what region they would get. So sometimes we would actually book flights in advance to Ooh, even further. Yeah. Just cause we knew that we could, we knew that we could cancel them and, um, and get the, get the miles back and stuff. So yeah, some of the as we got more strategic with it sometimes and we had confidence in, um, you know, our team making it out of the first round and, and on to the next and stuff, we'd go ahead and we'd go ahead and book flights to the future rounds too. Um, and oh, just be able to cancel awesome. any that we didn't have. So yeah, we, we got strategic with it so we could make sure that we were booking, like for instance, we had booked our flights to Houston our senior year for the final four. Um, when of course we, we lost to, to, to your team to Belnova, but we, we had booked our, our flights to Houston months in advance and um so it was funny Copy. when well well so it should be though again, i like it you have faith again, in your friends we did have faith in our friends it, it felt like it was it, that's how it was written was that we were gonna win it all our senior year but also the only way we knew that we could afford to do it is if we booked our ball flights were still cheap um so <laughs> we would yeah and booked on southwest you get them back so I, I still remember we had booked those flights so far in advance and when we finally moved on from the elite eight and um like on a sunday night or something like that 
and then we were going to be playing six days later in Houston. There were a lot of UNC students who were, who were booking flights and they were so expensive. So they were taking these long road trips and just paying so much money for a flight because it was so short notice. And, and we were sitting back feeling much better about ourselves then because the, 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 the gamble paid off because we had super cheap flights. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so, yeah. a great, Some great broke, idea. Broke college student stories of, all right, how do we, how do we travel without having really the amount of money we need to do this? <laughs> yeah. Cause traveling is so expensive. Even when you, you know, catch a flight for a cheaper amount, it's still a good amount of money. So, you know, you guys are great friends out there going out to support. Well, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Now, I know you had graduated by the time UNC went back to the Final Four and won it in 2017, but did you go to that Final Four? I actually did not, um, and it felt very bittersweet. I had a lot of friends on the, of course, as a fan, I was happy we won and still had some friends on the team, so I was thrilled for them. Um, but bittersweet that it was in our class and, and also bittersweet that I wasn't there. I had friends there, and they were really sweet and had a cardboard cutout of me at the game, actually, as a <laughs> As so a you joke. Were there. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and a couple pictures, it might look like it. Um, but no, I was right where I needed to be. I, I have a nonprofit um, that I that I run in North Carolina too, and um, we had one of our biggest, one of our bigger fundraisers um, that weekend. So I needed to be in the mountains of North Carolina putting on that fundraiser. Uh, but I was watching from afar, very happy, uh, very happy that it that we won, but very sad that we didn't win the year before. And, and Feeling left out that I wasn't there, but um, but confident in, in why I wasn't there. A lot of emotions. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about your film career, Taylor, because your first film, Hoops Africa, you actually started working on while you were a student at UNC, which is incredible. Can you talk about your experience in Africa before you made the film, the decision to make the film, and what it's about? Basically everything. I'll give you the floor. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so it really all started long before I had ideas for the film. Um, I went to Zimbabwe for a summer and I worked with this great nonprofit called Hoops for Hope and they use basketball as a vehicle to teach life skills. They work with almost 10,000 kids in both Zimbabwe and South Africa. And think of it as like an after school program where the court is a safe space for all of these kids to come and to have mentorship from coaches and to learn basketball, of course, but also learn about um, conflict resolution and gender equality and HIV AIDS prevention and a number of things that are just good life skills for any of the kids in these communities to be learning about. And specifically, one of the things they talked about was the African philosophy of Ubuntu. I am because you are. It's all about this common bond of humanity. And um, so I, I spent a summer there as a part of a scholarship I was on at UNC. I had my first, the summer after my first year, I spent two months living in Zimbabwe and working with this nonprofit, volunteering, coaching, writing for grants, doing some marketing, all of that. But really, I just fell in love with the work they did. And um, my host little brother, Watita, was, um, I guess he was like 13 at the time, um, but was aspiring to make it to the U.S. for basketball and for maybe on an academic or basketball scholarship. He really wanted to come study and play in the U.S. So when I left Zimbabwe, um, you know, I just felt like I had learned a lot more from them than I, you know, they impacted me a lot more than I could have impacted them as a 19 year old going over to volunteer and coach. And I, I really wanted to kind of make it a mission of mine as I moved through the sports industry to try to figure out ways to help raise awareness or, or funds for this nonprofit. 
And um, fortunately, the following two summers, I, I worked in basketball, too, at a sports agency that reps a lot of NBA players um, first. And then in that junior summer, I worked at the NBA League office in New York. And wow. here's where the documentary comes together is that um, the NBA was holding the first ever Africa game in uh, Johannesburg. So it was going to be the first time a U.S. professional sports league held a game on African soil. And it was going to be Team Africa versus Team World. So it was going to be an all-star group of players from all over the world uh, against a team that had a roster comprised of all players uh, from different countries on the continent of Africa. So it was this big monumental moment kind of in in the growth of the game on the African continent. And um, and my host little brother was selected as a top prospect at a, like a, you know, a, a scouting skills academy type camp there, Basketball Without Borders. And the nonprofit Hoops for Hope was going to come in and teach life skills for some of the kids. So in my mind, I just realized there was a the real opportunity here to capture these stories because it was such a coalescing of me being able to highlight my host little brother, me be able to highlight Hoops for Hope, um, but also me be able to tell like a much broader sports story about this first ever Africa game. Um, so that's when we got it started. Yeah, was was my junior summer. We went over to the Africa game and filmed that and went to Zimbabwe, kind of returned to the, the courts and the communities where I'd worked two summers previously. And we filmed, um, you know, a lot there. And then the storyline that kind of held this all together was back to the concept of Ubuntu and um, how I actually found out about Ubuntu and uh, what, what is a big part of the film is that the Boston Celtics 08 championship run was, was fueled by Ubuntu. They, Doc Rivers brought in someone from the nonprofit and talked about Ubuntu. And that was the, that was the summer when they brought together the big three of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and and Ray Allen. And um, they needed something to kind of, bond the team together they only had one ball but they had a lot of big personalities and big players and and they needed something to unite them and uh this mantra this philosophy of ubuntu was was that so actually the boston celtics broke down every huddle and wrote it on their shoes and won the championship and put ubuntu on their championship ring um so that's how i found about out about ubuntu and hoops rope in the first place before i volunteered there um and, and the film the film celebrates all of this and highlights all of what I just said. So yeah, that's like the three year kind of journey of volunteering in Zimbabwe and working in sports and then going to start the film. And um, I thought it might be a visual thesis of sorts for the major I talked about earlier, uh, rather than writing a thesis, I was just going to kind of do a short documentary. Um, but then as my senior year went on, we just continued to get more and more momentum for the film. And I realized it should be a feature film and, there are all these interviews I wanted to continue to do with players like uh, Doc Rivers and Paul Pierce and Chris Paul and Luol Deng and Serge Ibaka. And we just kept, we kept wanting more for the film. So it was at the point of graduation when I realized, hey, the film's not done yet. Um, I actually want this to be a pursuit that's going to extend beyond college. And in fact, I think I might want to try out this filmmaking thing in a more serious way. So um, that's how Hoops Africa came to be. And that's how I kind of pivoted a bit from maybe going back to the league office or going to a sports agency and working that side of sports. And, and rather, rather I wanted to hone, you know, the art of storytelling and, and I wanted to be able to um, just kind of use my fluency of sport and my connection to that community and my awareness of the ways in which it can, um, you know, be at that intersection of social impact and, and just tell stories uh, surrounding that. 
That is amazing. Wow. And, you know, a few follow-up questions. How are you able to get so many NBA players and coaches to appear on the documentary? Was it just through hookups you had from working with the NBA? Occasionally that occasionally that could help. But, I, I mean, I, I think you can probably relate to this, trying to get guests on, <laughs> on your podcast. It's just a lot of hustling. You know, it's a lot of reaching mm-hmm. out um, through a lot of different angles to a lot of different people trying to communicate what you're doing and why they should be a part of it and, and hoping they see the vision and are willing to give the time. Um, so a lot of it was just me as a first time filmmaker, college kid, uh, just trying to learn as I go, um, reaching out to people in a lot of different ways. And, and fortunately I say that this film was a big Ubuntu effort. There was a lot of people who just bought in, I think they just bought into what the film was doing. You know, it's highlighting this nonprofit. It's all about Ubuntu. It's really celebrating, celebrating what's happening with the league and the people I wanted to be a part of it. Very much were a part of this story. You know, they they helped grow the league. They they helped grow the game on the African continent, or they were a part of that championship team, or they played in that game. So I, I think there was a big sense of pride of the people that I got involved in the film, um, and they all had a lot of pride and buy-in and like what the story was all about. So I'm really grateful for everyone who was willing to be a part of the film because they didn't have to say yes to a first-time filmmaker, college kid, just trying to do this, you know? (laughs) Um, And fortunately they did. And I think with each person that, that participated in the film, it made me more confident that others would too. And it definitely made me feel more confident that this wasn't just a, a little senior thesis that I was doing as a college kid. This was me making a film and um, it gave me the confidence to be able to, to keep doing that. So yeah, from like Hakeem Olajuwon narrates the film and Adam Silver agreed to be interviewed and all of these other Hall of Fame players. So um, I definitely um, owe a lot to them. And I think it's a compliment to you, Taylor, because like you said, they didn't have to be in this just at a college kids film, but they obviously really loved the idea and what it was about and you. So, you know, that's that's great because you're right. You weren't this like, you know, 20 year filmmaker doing 30 for 30s on ESPN. This was your first project and they liked it enough to be a part of it. Yeah, I think it's just a credit to Ubuntu and, um, and you know, how it's, it's easy to want to support Hoops for Hope and to tell Watita's story and stuff. So I'll certainly take some of the credit because it was a lot of it was a lot of hard work um, and perseverance to continue knocking on doors and, and such. But uh, I think I was just fortunate with the story I was telling that, that so many people wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. Now, were you involved in every step of the production process, you know, from filming and and having these interviews to editing and steps that I'm probably not even aware of needing to happen? Yeah, well, there's by nature of a really small budget, independent film (laughs) like this, the people involved in the project are are pretty involved in every aspect. And that was the case for me. My my great partner on this film, his name is Dan Hedges. and, um, And fortunately, he brought a little bit more experience to the table. He had been a cinematographer um, for he's I guess 10 years older than I am. So um, he, for like the seven or eight years previous to meeting me had already been, had already been working um, kind of in the field. And um, he had made a documentary about um, this soccer league in New York. So he, he had more experience than I did. And, and that was really wonderful for me to have him as a partner. So I was kind of uh, directing it alongside him and I was producing it, you know, I was the one kind of hustling, trying to, Get all, you know, using my um, connections and knowledge of the basketball space, I was producing it and 
and I were forging the story together, but he was largely the one shooting the film um, and, and editing, you know, kind of with my notes and, and with my, um, with my vision. So yeah, he was, he and I had a made for a really good one, two punch there. And um, of course we brought in dozens of other people to do things along the way, but yeah, Dan and I were kind of there for every step of the process, which was a really good crash course for me. I mean, there's, um, there are a number of amazing film schools and there's a lot of things that I don't know because I, I didn't go to one of them, but there's also something to be said about really throwing yourself into it and needing to learn how to do everything for a film and, and to get the full exposure to what it takes to make a film. Um, because you're forced to learn so much and, and you have the capability then of learning what you're good at and what you're not good at, and what you like doing and what you don't and what your role could be in a bigger film when, when you wouldn't be doing everything. So I actually think it was the best way for me to get into film was, was to have to really hustle on a low budget one where I was involved in every step of the way. Yeah. Learn as you go. That's my best way of learning. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got started in that way. Cause now, now I just, you know, know, kind of know how the sausage is made in that regards a little bit and, and know where I best fit in. And, um, yeah. And, and I just love like shepherding a story from its original, like the inception of an idea and building that out and workshopping it into what it could be. And, um, you know, seeking out, uh, you know, seeking out the access to the stories and managing the logistics to actually getting it filmed and working with really talented cinematographers and, you know, people on the, on the sound side or on the edit side or on the, you know, there's just every step of the way I get to work with really talented people and um, kind of get to feel like, like I saw, you know, come from nothing to something. Yeah, that's awesome. And how, would you say how many people overall helped work on the film? That's a pretty long list when you really think about it. I mean, um, for the most part, it was people chipping in and offering kind of like their friends and family services to us or us hiring someone on our, you know, we had a pretty small budget, but occasionally would be able to hire someone to do a specific thing. I mean, it was me and Dan, but we had some other cinematographers along the way. Uh, we had some people who handled post-production sound and post-production coloring. We uh, had some music supervisors who helped us um, identify some songs and musicians we could use in the film. We really tried to have authentic music from like the region of Africa where we were maybe highlighting a player um, from, you know, and so then we worked with all of their artists and, you know, then their people at their label or their manager and go down the line, you know, any, any player we worked with to, to interview for the film, we also dealt with someone from their team on the PR side or someone from their agency or one of their friends. And um, so uh, we crowdfunded the film. Um, so there were hundreds of people who made small donations that, you know, pulled together enough money for us to make it. So really there were hundreds of people involved in the process. Um, but the core filmmaking team, you know, was maybe about 15 of us all in all who, who played like a significant role in the actual making of the film. Wow. It does, you know, like I said in the beginning, it's a lot more work than you think that goes into making a documentary and so many more people that you need to help along the way. Yeah, I think that's um, that's a fun aspect of it. I, I definitely miss the days of where my community was shaped by, you know, participating in athletics and having that team um, surrounding you and being a part of that. And I feel that a lot in filmmaking documentary. Sure. But I've done some narrative stuff too, you know, and, and that really feels like that too, when you're on set and you've got cast and crew and you're all like coming together, serving the role, uh, mm -hmm. for a common goal. So yeah, it, it's been fun to feel 
a part of a team with the different film projects I've worked on. Yeah. Now, what was the reception like when Hoops Africa came out? It was it was really fun to put it out. It was because it was such a long time coming um, from the time we originally conceived the idea to the time that we released it. We released it um, on NBA TV on Christmas Eve of, I think, 2017. So it was they had this courtside cinema series they were doing around the holidays. And I think ours came on right before that um, magic magic versus Larry documentary that they did. So it was, it was pretty cool to see it on, on the NBA channel and um, kind of as a part of this cool cinema series that involved some, that incorporated some other documentaries that were, um, you know, ones that I, I admired and such. So that was, that was cool to come out on NBA TV. And um, there certainly was, a nice celebration surrounding that. And it had a, it had a run on NBA TV for about, um, for about a year. And then we like re-released it on iTunes and Amazon and some other online streaming, you know, platforms out there. Um, so then we kind of had another celebration, I suppose, after that time when it was exclusively on NBA TV. And that's when we actually held some screenings and did like some premieres in different places. So we did one in Chapel Hill and we did one in New York and, um, we also, one way of kind of keeping the film alive um, outside of just people watching it, you know, from their homes, wherever they are, um, is we have gone on a bit of an Ubuntu tour, as we called it. And I've been, we've really found a home for this film at schools. So I've gone to a few dozen schools have brought me out to show the film to the students and to talk to them about the filmmaking process and about my volunteering in Zimbabwe and to talk to them about Ubuntu um, so different schools have had different approaches. Sometimes they wanted to bring in a filmmaker to talk about a film. Sometimes they wanted someone to talk about social impact in sports. Sometimes it was more from like the global studies approach and wanted to talk about Ubuntu and my time um, spent volunteering in Zimbabwe. But, you know, no matter the reason why they brought me in, it's been really great to see the students' reception to it and to hear the questions they ask in the Q&A. Um, it's felt, it's felt really awesome to keep the film alive. Even now, even I was, I've been doing some virtual screenings and, and popping into some virtual classrooms for some schools in recent months. And, um, yeah, it just feels really right that the film was inspired by these, uh, you know, children in Zimbabwe who we worked with at Hoops for Hope. And now it's like kids mostly here in the U S learning of their story and being inspired by them and such. Well, that's amazing that this has gone on and you can like be a public speaker at these schools. Yeah, it's felt, it's felt like a really good way to, I mean, you work on a film for so long and then it comes out and you have your big release and, you know, you do some film festivals or whatever. And then it kind of goes away. I mean, people do watch and ours is not like the most successful documentary out there, the most talked about thing. But it, to me, it's these like moments when I get into a classroom and I'm talking to the students or I get a random email from someone or a social media post from someone who watched it years later, they stumbled upon it and watched it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And that definitely, that just like reminds you of, of um, why you made it in the first place. Yeah. Absolutely. And now is it still available on iTunes and Amazon? It is. Yeah. I always say that um, there's like more places to watch it than I even know where to point you to. It's um, sometimes it was like it was on BET plus for a little bit and it's on Amazon Prime, I think. And you can still rent or watch it on iTunes. It's on some other streaming platforms that I never even heard of until I saw our film on it. So, yeah, there are plenty of ways to watch the film. And um, yeah, I hope I hope listeners will 
we'll give it a give it a watch if they're so inclined. Well, I'm an Amazon Prime member. I'm gonna find it right after this interview. I can't wait. Right on. I hope you I hope you enjoy. Absolutely. I'm sure I will. <laughs> <laughs> now, during COVID, I believe it was during COVID, correct me if I am wrong, but you made another documentary, Two Ways to the League, which I believe is a part of your ongoing documentary, Who Portraits? Is that right? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, awesome. you should do the pit you should do the pitching for us. Yeah, that was All right. um, let me know. That was what we <laughs> <laughs> that was what we call like our pilot episode essentially um that was the first episode we've made and we've made some more since but we haven't released them um because we're trying to complete the entire series before we you know release it as one but the one that we did put out two ways to the league was um yeah really 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 nice to be able to actually put something out because do you know since since March of 2020, we've been shut down from doing so many things. Um, and so it was nice to be able to have one close to home story that we could do safely and actually be able to release something since a lot of the stuff we're working on now will, will just be a long time until we get to release it. But that was another good North Carolina story um, of Tyson Alexander and Josh Hall, two North Carolinians who were training for the NBA draft um, this past October. And uh, we, yeah, we followed them for the months leading up to the draft. We were with them and their families on draft night. We showed them training and kind of gave an inside look at what that process was like training for the draft during COVID. And um, yeah, it's a, it, it's a film that I hope people will go out and watch. It's on, um, it's on the NBA and the G League channels. So we, we partnered with the NBA to um, release that. And there's a Q&A with me and, and, and Josh and Tyshawn. Um, and we hope it's just a little sneak peek for what the Hoop Portrait series will be, um, who knows, a year from now when it comes out. Yeah, now can you give any insight, like any little clues to what your work, what else you're working on within Hoops Portraits or are your lips sealed? Yeah, I can, I can say a little bit. So a little bit more about Two Ways to the League is that, um, you know, the, these guys are now rookies. They just finished their their rookie season. Um, Tyshawn actually with the Suns went to the NBA Finals, and Josh Hall was with the Thunder, and I think scored 25 points in his last game. So they both had great rookie years. And what we say two ways to league is it's like this it's like this intimate portraiture of of who they are and what that process was like. We want we want hoop portraits as a series to really give viewers this like front row seat to these meaningful moments in Hooper's lives. So. You know, very rare are you like with them to really feel the emotion like you're next to them on the couch waiting for their name to be called or not to be called or, or what it's like when you're training and, and, and trying to do all that you can to make sure that you're noticed by one of these teams to to sign you. So that they're all supposed to be these intimate slices of life of of these moments that kind of all athletes face. And um, so that's like the going the going pro chapter. But there's a lot of other chapters um, starting young, going old. Um, hopefully as young as like making the middle school team and hopefully going as like late as making it to the hall of fame. So there's going to be a lot of chapters in between and, um, that represent like a different moment or a different, a different period of a basketball player's life. So we also followed a, um, like the episode that will come, you know, there's also a, a high schooler who was like on a, his quest to win a state championship and to get a college scholarship and, um, we also have this young woman from Mexico and show her leaving her hometown and arriving to the U.S. to start her college experience. So uh, going all the way up to like Hall of Fame players. Um, so, yeah, it'll be hopefully the series as a whole as a, like a mosaic will showcase the many different 
the many different um, versions of a life in basketball. And as you watch each episode, it'll kind of feel like one career unfolding, but it'll be told through 10 different, 10 different stories. Wow, that sounds really interesting. It seems like you are a very busy guy. I'm so excited that you're able to come on because if you're, you know, it seems like you have your foot in a bunch of different stories right now. Yeah, I do. The, it's kind of funny. Hoop Portraits is one docu-series. So the quick answer is that like, yeah, a lot of my time is going to this docu-series, Hoop Portraits. But the reality of that is that I'm kind of like making 10 documentaries at once um, <laughs> and, and have some other stuff going on too with, with my partner at Blue Cup. So um, yeah, it's been it's been a, a big hustle to, to, to try to make it and, um, and it's going to be some time until we finish. So it's kind of nice to be able to talk about it briefly, even if I'm not giving all the details, because it really will be a while until we release it. So it's nice to have this little touch point in between. Absolutely. Now, one documentary you absolutely have to do is the career of Roy Williams. That would be a great one. I have so much respect for Coach Williams. And um, yeah, someone someone's going to need to do that at, at some point. I bet he needs a moment to breathe after having uh, just retired and he's enjoying his time with grandkids on the golf course and such. But yeah, that that's a story that I'd be thrilled to be a part of telling. For hours, I thought it was an April Fool's joke that he had retired. Like, even when it was a full press release, I was like, no, guys, it's an April Fool's joke. I have some friends that are, like, big UNC fans and were really upset. It's like, no, it's not a thing. And then it turned out to be a thing, and I looked really stupid. But what a day to retire on April 1st. Yeah, you know, I mean, I will say Coach Williams is is a funny guy, but it's not his style to do that, nor is it UNC basketball style to do that. So I was... I heard I had some UNC fan friends hoping for a similar outcome that it was just a joke. And I was like, no, I know UNC basketball. They're, they're not going to joke about this. <laughs> um, so it was, yeah, that was a, you know, a bit, a bit of a shock in some ways, but also, um, you know, Coach Williams has, has done it all and then some and given so much to the university. And um, I'm, I'm just happy for certainly was sad to, you know, for him to retire and that to be an end of an era, but I'm just like happy for him to now to be able to enjoy life and have a little bit less stress, a lot less stress and a lot yeah, more a lot time. Less. Yeah. A lot more time just in enjoying life with his wife, Wanda and his grandkids and playing golf. And I'm, I'm sure he'll be, you know, around the program and in, in ways that feel good. So I'm actually kind of, my dad is retiring this year too. So I, I think I had this like little parallel moment of, I was like, yeah, I'm just happy for both of them. They've got so much life left to live. Go enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, man. Part of me is a little sad that he didn't give it a year's notice. and Because if anyone deserved a little victory tour, it was him. You know, he does. But that is just um, that's just not his style. Um, so I'm, I think it's pretty true to him just to, you know, quietly quietly take his exit and I think it's just up to us to give him give him the flowers anyway it would have it would have been nice and I'm sure coach K is gonna soak all of that up uh, this year um but but I don't think it's coach Williams style as much so it actually ultimately looking back it feels kind of kind of fitting for me and um you know of course I'm excited for for Hubert you know coach Davis to come in and you know start a new era um I feel like I feel like it'll be a, a seamless transition there. So hats off to Coach Williams for a great career and um, and hopefully a great retirement. And, and now we, we start getting excited about the Hubert era. Yeah, so you think it's going to be a good era? Yeah, a lot of my friends, you know, he was the a unique thing about, the, about UNC basketball is that we still have a JV program. 
That's right. Um, most of the major programs do not. And um, so when Hubert first came back, left ESPN, came on the staff, he was also the JV coach. And um, I had some good friends who ultimately tried out for JV and made it. So they were on on Hubert's first team as a head coach, you know, as that JV head coach. And um, yeah, so t- in talking with them and in talking with some of my other friends who were managers or players who had close relationships with Coach Davis as he was a as he was an assistant, it just, you know, everyone that knows him has amazing things to say about him. And um, he played for Coach Smith. He he was on Coach Williams' staff. So it's anything you love about Carolina basketball, you know, you can find in him too. So I, I think people are excited and um, I think they have good reason to be. Okay, good to know. Pretty soon it'll be Hubert Davis versus John Shire in the Duke-UNC battle. I know. Isn't, isn't that strange? It did feel, you know, Hubert's, Hubert's older, so it didn't – than than Shire, so I didn't have this feeling. But when when John Shire was announced as the replacement, it did kind of make me feel old. I was like, I remember just watching him, and now he's going to be the head coach. Like, just having like you know, we've been used to all of these these massive figures who have been coaches for so long, and Coach Williams and Coach K. But then, I mean, you look at a number of other ACC schools too. There have just been these like pillars of coaching who have been here for so long. So you kind of feel that they're all supposed to be old and then all of a sudden you have this new wave of younger coaches and it's exciting it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, good for all those programs but it did kind of give me a wake-up call of like oh i've been watching college basketball for a while haven't i wasn't yeah <laughs> no no same i remember when john shire was um what a freshman and i remember when hubert davis was on the uh what is it uh the morning show for college right? game day yeah, i remember when he was on day. game day Yep, yep. So it's it's cool to see where they they all are now. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. No offense to 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 Shire, but hopefully Hubert has the much better run. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously you would want that. Totally get it. <laughs> both have a lot of pressure on them, though. Those are both tough shoes to follow. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. Absolutely. Now, one more question for you, Taylor. Your company, production company, Blue Cup Productions, I'm assuming that has to be a Carolina reference. It is. And in fact, this is just audio, but I'm holding a Blue Cup in my hand right now. And that's not <laughs> and that's not for my production company, but that's for the famous bar. He's not um, he's not here in Chapel Hill that serves beer in these massive Blue Cups. And it's a bit of a so it's certainly a nod to Chapel Hill. Um and one of one of our favorite places there but more you know more um meaningfully about why we chose it as our production company name is that my partner uh the production company holland um holland randolph gallagher he was also a class of 2016 unc person and we knew each other through mutual friends and similar social scenes but we were never good friends while in college but it was a couple years removed from college that um i i was putting out hoops africa and he was starting to work on a web series. And so he just kind of identified me as this like other person he knew from UNC who just like didn't study film, but happens to be making things independently. And he too like wanted to start and he too was working on some stuff independently. So we, we just got, it, we just got up for drinks just to chat about the independent productions we were doing. And it was a couple of blue cups later when we had some really good ideas that we wanted to partner on. So a little while later, um, he like left the next day to go write a script and asked me if I'd read it first and consider producing it. And when we went to go make that short film, we needed to, you know, like actually formalize our company and uh, just decided to call it Blue Cup Productions as a nod to us, you know, knowing each other through Chapel Hill, but but more specifically, kind of to 
um, remember the message of like, yeah, all it takes is an idea and a willingness to go chase it and to collaborate with the people around you. Like everyone kind of has the means to, to make something. Um, so you just got to go out and do it. I love that. And it better be baby blue cups. Oh yeah, of course. All right. Cause if we're talking Navy blue, it just wouldn't be as good. Oh uh, no, it's, it's that perfect Carolina blue. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Good for you guys. Like just going out talking and all of a sudden you got a company. Well, that's the, that's the beauty of, um, you know, the creative world, I suppose, is that, um, yeah, any, anyone can do it. Absolutely. Dream big. Dream big. Taylor, I have loved our conversation. I like to end the podcast with a couple fun questions. How does that sound to you? Sure, let's do it. All right. First question, who is your all-time favorite North Carolina player? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. Um, I grew up absolutely loving Vince Carter and Julius Peppers. Um, mm. You know, one from basketball and one from football, although Julius played basketball too. But I think that I would be, uh, I'd be remiss not to say my, my good pals, Bryce Johnson and Marcus Page. They come in with the tie for my favorite, well, that's my a favorite given, players. But okay. <laughs> All right, nice. Yeah, great athletes right there you named. All right, film guy. Next question, what's your favorite movie? Can't be Hoops Africa, sorry. No, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare say my own. Um, gosh, there's a, number of, there's a number of films that um, are really important to me, but I will say this is a recent one and it's been the one that I've been evangelizing the most recently, but a documentary that came out last year called Time by Garrett Bradley is absolutely amazing. So um, there's, a, there's a number of movies that could, that could be up there for me, but one that I am just always talking about when anyone asks for a movie, a documentary suggestion is go watch the movie Time. I've heard of that. I haven't watched it yet, though. I'll have it is to. A, it is a beautiful, beautiful story. Okay, I'll check it out. Last question. You know, you've been to a lot of places, experienced a lot of things, but what is a bucket list place to visit or experience that you want to have? Well, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but um, I've wanted to go in the places that I've visited. I, I love to be able to go, like for a film or for a friend or for a basketball related thing and um one that could turn into all three or, or some combination of them is is going to japan and there are a lot of unc guys who are playing in japan professionally this upcoming season so one that maybe maybe a bucket list item that i could check off <laughs> sooner rather than later is, is hopefully getting to japan and um and experiencing that through the lens of going over to see friends and watch them play oh that'd be great great place to visit that's the hope are you a sushi guy? Because I heard their sushi is amazing. Big sushi guy, and I, I feel like um, I feel like all of their food is amazing. So I'll, I'll I'll be excited for my Japanese experience. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, hopefully you're able to get over there soon. Yeah, knock on wood. Let's hope the world is in a place uh, that will allow it. Absolutely, Taylor. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come on and talk about your fandom for UNC and your film career. I wish you the best of luck for Hoop Portraits. I can't wait to, to finally get to watch it when it comes out. You should, you know, let me do it for free, maybe do a screening, hook me up. All right, well, yeah, we'll talk about it. You gotta, you gotta be a little patient, <laughs> but we'll, we'll follow up. We'll circle back on that. And uh, yeah, thanks again for having me on your podcast. Hope, um, hope you can continue to bring out a lot of great guests and, and grow this one too. I respect that you're doing it. Oh, thank you so much. And one thing for the end, of course, I got to leave you with a Go Heels. Okay. I'd be offended if you didn't. Go Heels. <laughs>
All right, everyone. That was my conversation with Taylor Sharp. Hope you enjoyed it. What an impressive young man. Everyone, go check out Hoops Africa and be on the lookout for hoop portraits. I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.